Gracious God, would you lead this morning? Would you continue to minister to us? For we need your leading. Even as we'll see and be reminded in this passage, it is something for us who follow you that we are so prone to take for granted. And yet your, your word says in Romans 8 that your spirit ever leads those who are your children. Lord, let us not take you for granted. But let us seek, let us follow, let us rejoice because um, you always have great plans. Use your word this morning. Um, do your work here and draw us to you. This we ask for glory in Christ's name. Amen. Moses and the nation of Israel are at the foot of Mount Sinai. This rabble of slaves, a people that were harassed and oppressed, a nation of exiles and outsiders, they have seen unspeakable wonders, haven't they? Maybe more than any generation that has ever walked on the face of the earth. They have been recipients of, of probably the greatest marvels of deliverance that any people have ever known. And yet, they've still been slow, haven't they? Even with all of that, they've been slow to learn to trust, to learn that God's ways are always best, and to see and to desire to see his guidance of them. What's more, they don't yet know how to really live as a new people of God, as a new house of God. As slaves before in Egypt, they were exiles. They were, they were outsiders. And by the end of their time there, as things degraded, they were probably just trying to make life work and only seeking and crying out to the Lord out of desperation. But here now, they've been given freedom. Here now, they have, in a sense, a new autonomy and a new opportunity. Here now, they are to figure out how do we invest, leverage our lives for God. More still, even than this, they've been struggling and striving against God. As we read in these chapters 15 through 17, just over the last few weeks, since leaving Egypt. We come today to the second half of chapter 18, and it is really the beginning of a transition in the entire book from the Exodus marvels that they saw and then the wilderness wanderings, which we've just been looking at, to what will really be the scene for the bulk of almost the entire rest of the book of Exodus. They are going to become now an organized people, a kingdom of priests is what they'll be called. They have no idea how to do that. They're not sure what that's supposed to look like. And all of this is a little bit like us, isn't it? After placing faith in Christ, seeing our need and that he provides release from our bondage, from our sin, from our enslavement, he brings us, in a sense, to a new autonomy, a new opportunity. But it is one where it's not clear how this works. He says, I've made you sons and daughters of the Most High God. I've made you my children. I've made you priests to minister to others. Oh, Lord, what a task. What a calling. But how can we do it? He says, you come under my leadership, and I will do it. What did Jesus say to the disciples? I will make you fishers of men. You follow me. This morning, we begin for the nation of Israel that transition into being a founded, structured, organized people of God. Still sinners, still grumblers, still constantly falling short, but at least having a goal and guidance in how to glorify God. This transition all happens in two scenes with a visiting Midianite, a guy named Jethro, 
Moses' father-in-law. We saw last week how Jethro came in witness to the glory of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Today, we see Jethro, this Midianite, now through divine providence, giving advice, giving advice, an outsider, and giving it to Moses, God's prophet. And through him, God will help establish the first stages of the judiciary that will help guide the people throughout their time. We learn about God's leadership this morning, which we need just as they needed, and even a bit about God's leadership teams. Exodus 18, pick up with me and let's read, starting verse 13. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out, both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representatives before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then you teach the statutes and the law, and you make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they would themselves judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. Pause there. First this morning, what I think our passage would have us know, and it really forms a foundation so subtle that we might even skip over it, but it's foundational for us to see, is this. Notice first that people need to be led. People need to be led. We will all follow something as as unconscious as we may be about our choices in what we pursue or what draws our attentions or what we go after, all people need to be led. Even the most autonomous, the most independent of us unwittingly follows something, whether it's the, the best estimations of their own human wisdom, whether it's the passing imaginations and interests of their heart. People need to be led, and we will be. Right off, what we find in our passage this morning is a people who are searching for help, right? They have come to Moses. Look at verse 15. After Jethro asks him the question, Moses responds, because the people come to me to inquire of God. This is apparently a regular event, something that happens maybe every day. What we find is it's happening um, almost without end. We find it from morning until evening. And notice, uh, notice when it happens here. 13 again, it came about the next day. 
question. Next day after what? You say, well, I don't know. That's verse 13, so it must be whatever is, was there in verse 12. What was the first 12 verses? It was Jethro, the Midianite, coming with Moses' wife and two sons. And there, the point of the passage was, was this Midianite, this non-Jew, having heard of the marvels and then meeting with Moses, hearing a firsthand account of all of the glories. He comes and gives praise, and he says, Now I know that Yahweh is Lord over all the gods of all the peoples of all the earth. He alone is God. But see what happened in the midst of that scene. There's a reunion here, right? We don't, we don't know how long it's been, maybe some months since Moses has been away from his wife and his children. And they are reunited that day. And at least a portion of the day is spent with Moses and Jethro in conversation. Maybe they spent that night together. And then you hit verse 13. You get the context now? Next day, from morning to evening. So pressing was the need of the people. So needy were they for resolution and for direction, for guidance and for leading, that even Moses' reunion with his family could not abate the crushing weight of the need of the people. Even this celebration, the coming back again together of this family and this marriage, it can't diminish the demand that's there. And, and the passage is clearly giving us the weight of that. Some have said, in fact, that uh, maybe Jethro's advice here is born out of the concern for his daughter, and he's just a good father-in-law going, dude, um, you married my daughter, right? I think there's a job there that you need to do. I, I would imagine that's probably not entirely untrue, but it's nowhere mentioned in the passage. In any case, you can imagine his heart, his jealousy in the right way for Moses Praise God that he would use even this Midianite, this outsider, to help train him up in the leadership of a people who desperately need it, and he himself who desperately needs advice and guidance. So what is it that they're coming for? What do they need? Why are they coming? Two things I want you to note in this opening section. First, they need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them. They need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them. Notice that Moses taught them. Both Moses says this and Jethro echoes it. Look again in verse 16. When they have a dispute, Moses says, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So literally rendered in the Hebrew, what he says is, I cause them to know the statutes and the laws of Yahweh. It's, a, it's an intense verb. It's the idea of maybe catechizing if necessary. Surely it's, an, it's a statement of God's laws, but it's even a training and a, a teaching, an explanation and an application of those. If, as I'd mentioned before, Exodus 18 actually occurs chronologically after Sinai, after the giving of the law, which I think is very likely, just given the hints in the passage itself, then he is referring back to everything that God has just revealed up on the mountain. All that he has said for how the nation is to be organized and its, its priesthood and its sacrifices and all the laws of interrelationship between a man and his neighbor. He's going to make those known. The people need a knowledge of God's laws to guide them. Jethro will echo it down in verse 
20, when he's going to give him new advice, he does acknowledge that what Moses is doing is good. 20, then teach them the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they are to walk and work and all that they are to do. This is a nation of slaves, ex-slaves, now in need of guidance, now in need of teaching, just like us, right? When you come to Christ, God creates in a new believer a desire for his word, a desire for his leading. One of the telltale marks of a person being born again is that the spirit of God works in them an appetite for God's word. Maybe what was once to you before Christ, something that you thought of only as heavy-handed, only as something that, that restrained you from your own freedom and joy, now becomes something that rescues you and me, something that delivers you to God's freedom and joy. Because the Lord Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you come under my teaching, I will lead you to life because I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's no longer religion and a set of rules. It is a God and a good father who in his grace gives us direction that we might walk in him and so experience all the blessings. These are people who need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them. They've grumbled against God, as we've seen. They've tested him. They've made demands of him. They had the audacity to come to Moses and say, tell God to give us water. It's about time. Tell God we're starving. But now they're going to learn. They're going to learn to seek his face on their own. They're going to learn to submit to his ways and live in them. This training section of chapters 15 to 18 is, is key in the making of a new nation. Friends, as we read the New Testament and, and rightly um, focus on it, we also need to remember that it, it sometimes says things about the law, the Old Testament law as it was given, which makes the law sound like it was all bad, but it wasn't. If we just read your Old Testament, you understand that the giving of the law was a gift to the people, and it was received as a gift. In fact, God said to them, what nation is there on the face of this earth that has the wisdom that you have been given, that has the knowledge of God's ways like you have? You are to be envied among all the people. The laws given to Israel was for their good and for their blessing and for their privilege. All the people in our passage today, by the way, agree about this the need for the knowledge of God's will and his laws. Moses agrees with it. Jethro agrees with it. The people themselves agree with it. They need his ways and his revelation. Question, how do you see God's word? How do I see God's word and his commands? Do I take them as something that is an obstacle to me getting my way? Actually, they are, and that's a good thing. But that being... A problem, or do I see them as that which delivers to life, which guides me in truth? People need to be led. They need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them. Proverbs 20, 19, 29, verse 18, sorry, says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law catch both sides of that 
where there is no prophetic vision. Okay, well, what we need is we need somebody to go and, and pray and have a mysterious vision, a new revelation from God. No, because the other half of that verse is, blessed is he who keeps the law. There in God's law, in his commands and statutes and judgments was life. The law revealed God's character, revealed his will, and it protected the people and provided for them. Question, what is it that will restrain you this week? What will restrain your words when you feel like, boy, I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind? What is it that will restrain your lusts when it just feels right? What is it that will rescue you from selfishness or save me and deliver me from my pride? Oh, there are many things that we try to put in place, many, many signposts that I'd like to put up to remind me, hey, this is wrong, you don't want to go this way, but what I find is if it's of my own making, it doesn't have the power to save me. The Word of God actually has the power to save me. We need the knowledge of God's laws to guide us. What will guide you in the path of life this week and bring you to wholeness? The people need to be led. Two things I said to note under this heading. First, they need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them. But then there's a peculiar application that Moses has, it seems, most often with the coming of the people to him. And that illustrates their second need. They need the mediation of God's laws to reconcile them. Not only do they need the knowledge of God's laws to guide them, that's in general, but specifically they need the mediation of God's laws to reconcile them. Look again at the words used here in 16. When they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor. What do we do when one has wronged another? When one has spoken words of offense or maybe even infringed upon another's rights or maybe even by their actions or their lack of actions have stolen or neglected to give something that was due somebody. We need the laws of God, to speak truth and justice and to reconcile. Moses says it there in 16 and then drop down in 19 again. Jethro will echo it. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes. He uses the same word that Moses has just explained. The people come to me and they are at odds. And so I am the one to give them direction to come back together. Friends, there's an encouragement here in our passage today that the truth of God's word is sufficient for us. It is sufficient for us in our broken relationships to guide us on a path back how to be made right again. It not only makes us right with God to, to agree about our sin and then to be forgiven, to agree about what he's done for us in Christ, but now to be reconciled to one another. Someone has said that you can, you can tell how good a leader two people have by how much they can disagree with one another and still get along if they follow that same leader. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, our leader, who is able to reconcile enemy factions. I remember the um, ethnic cleansing in Rwanda in the early 90s. I remember a fellow student at Dallas Seminary, and he was a church leader in Rwanda and had come to America to do his studies, and yet as part of his ministry, he regularly traveled 
back. And you know what he did? Really primarily two things as he counseled with pastors and church leaders in that area after and years after the ethnic cleansing. Number one, he, he ministered to them the truth of God's word to reinstate their confidence that it was right and real. Why? Not because there was ever anything lacking in the words of God, because some of them having misinterpreted it, they felt that they were actually living through the last days before the return of Jesus Christ. Because they said, look, we read the Bible and it says there will be hell on earth and then Jesus will come. Guess what? Look around. And they experienced it. I won't even share the stories that I could, but for the sake of time, you can imagine. After that, when Jesus didn't come, there were churches and leaders and people who were like, what do we do? Because we went through it. We, we've never seen or heard of anything this bad. What do we do now? And he says, they needed training just to go back to the word and say, well, here's maybe where you misunderstood. Here's maybe what you rightly understood but didn't apply correctly. Here is what God is doing. And he just tried to make sense of all that they had been through. That was one of the main things. Sorry, that's a side note, bonus sermon for today. The second, I don't know why I said that much about that, sorry. Second was reconciling people because the Hutus and the Tutsis killed one another because they were Hutus and because they were Tutsis. Would storm houses, murder fathers in front of their wives and children, on and on and on. And he said, these people needed to learn how to forgive. They, they needed to learn what hope, what to ground their lives in. And it had to be something greater and deeper and more powerful than the evil that they had experienced or even done. Their glorious stories in the latter half of the decade of the 90s and the early 2000s. And I'll get the two factions wrong, but I may have them reversed. But of the Hutus who had killed Tutsis, going back into their villages. They had killed them and burned their houses to the ground, going back in, asking forgiveness, repenting for what they had done in the name of Christ because they had come to Christ, and now rebuilding the houses of the villagers. There are stories of Hutus and Tutsis standing together arm in arm, singing the praises of God. How could that happen? That, that's unconscionable. Could you forgive someone who raped your mom and killed your dad and stole you away and left you for dead? Could you forgive someone? May you never have to. May I never have to. But the word of God is more powerful, and it goes deeper, and it does a higher and a more miraculous work in a person's life. Now, it may not be anything nearly that dramatic with Moses and these squabbling Israelites, but isn't that where we are? More with the squabbles and the small potatoes and the, the petty fiefdoms that we reign over and we say, well, somebody has infringed upon my territory. And so still we need the word of God. They need the mediation of God's laws to reconcile them. And God is good in what he has provided. People need to be led and God has provided a leadership. Next, I want you to notice God shepherds his people through leaders of character. God shepherds his people through leaders of character. Jethro is going to go on now, and he's going to say, I get what you're doing, Moses. You're applying God's word, which these people have to have. And God has assigned you to be one of the ones through whom he is going to do it. 
but you're going to pull in some others as, as well. So he says in 20, then teach them the statutes and the laws, which, I'm sorry, teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. That is the, the agreement with what Moses has said and that, yes, you should continue doing it. He says, but I'm going to add something new here, 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. Jethro gives four characteristics for what these people are to who are to be chosen. Chosen over thousands and hundreds and, and fifties and tens, from the large to the little. And he says four things of them in verse 21. First, he says they are to be men who are capable. Capable. The ideal there, idea there is that they are to be of character. Specifically, they should have a an ability that's not just some skill in working with their hands, but it is a, an inner ability. It's, a, it's an ability in discernment that he is saying. When God sets up leaders today, he calls that they be discerning. And so just as he calls for every one of his children to grow in discernment, he may give you a sphere of influence where your discernment is needed, your ability to decide what to do next is part of your being capable. Maybe it's as a parent. Maybe it's as a spouse. Maybe it's in your workplace. But God shepherds his people through these leaders that he is going to choose, whom Moses is going to choose here. First, capable. Second, they are to have a fear of God. Here he's talking about a vertical characteristic. It's a reverence. It's, it's a joy in God's glory. Almost wonder if of all of the four characteristics here, this isn't the one that couldn't stand alone. This isn't the one that couldn't uh, bleed over and, and uh, serve and create all of the others. The fear of God, if a person has it, then probably over the course of time, the other pieces will fall into place, right? I just want to honor God. I just want him to be glorified in what I do, that person would say. But if that's not at heart their desire, if they're still wrestling or equivocating over whether or not it's God's world or theirs, whether it's God's kingdom or theirs, then all those other pieces are never really going to be where they should be. He tells Moses, select people who have a fear of God because that reverence will lead to obedience. Third, make sure that they are able men who fear God, men of truth. Man of truth. I think the idea here in context there is a, a horizontal aspect. It's that they are trustworthy. It's not just that they teach right or they know right. It's that they actually live out this truth in God's word. They are consistent in character. And then I think the fourth aspect falls under that horizontal aspect. Able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain hate dishonest gain. They're people who are principled. They're not mercenary. They don't receive a position because what they think the position can do for them. But they take on authority and responsibility because of what God might do through them and give them the privilege to be a part of, to make them a blessing to others. They're not corruptible. They, they don't like bribes. 
Tell me on this point a good pause to consider. What does your integrity cost? What does my integrity cost? You think, well, I don't know. Uh, who's asking and how much are they paying? Well, I don't know. Maybe every time you fill out your taxes, hey, if I do this, I'll get a deduction of $400. Maybe that's worth my integrity. Any other number of ways that in small bits, the Lord allows us to be tested just to open our eyes to see where is my trust? Moses is to go and find these people of character, people with a horizontal sweetness with God, a vertical, incorruptible, sorry, a vertical relationship with God, horizontal, incorruptible sweetness with people. And notice where they're going to be placed. You shall place them over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. You know what? I love that. Tens. Where is the word of God going to be ensured what corners of the nation that it's going to be pressed out into, all the way down into tens. There will be official people who will be in charge of tens. That's probably every couple family units or so, right? Actually, in the nation of Israel, that might not even be a full family unit. I don't know. Tens. Right down to the smallest group right down to the extended family. The word of God is to be made available and applied. Isn't that beautiful? You know what our desire is here at Mountain Christian Church? Down to the family units that we would be in places, that those who are part of this body would be in places where the word of God is taught and applied, where it is ministered, both for the guidance of life and for the reconciliation of relationships. Happening in the homes as as father and mother minister the word of God to their children. As husbands, you and I are commanded with this impossible command, this tall order of Ephesians 5, that we are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church, and we are to wash her with the water of the word. And it's to be pressed down into every marriage and into every parent and child relationship. And then there should be gatherings together of, I don't know, tens or maybe 11 is okay, I'm not sure where extended families and small groups of families come together. This is God's leadership teams. It's what, what he desired for his people. And we need the interaction at that level. And we need sometimes the accountability and the exhortation at that level. How are you shepherded in God's word? I'm not asking about your personal quiet time. I hope that is a high priority, and I'm sure it is for the vast majority of you. But here we're talking about leaders. God has called us to have leaders, people who can speak into our lives. They may be peers whom we reciprocate that leadership and authority at times. Or it may be somebody, if you're a Barnabas and that person is your Paul, You and I are to have leaders, we're to find leaders, we're to submit to them because God shepherds his people through leaders of character. It's the character here that is focused on, but I also want you to not miss just the fact that he puts leaders in place. Today, praise God, though there are people in our churches, all of us in our churches are imperfect, anybody who takes a place of leadership will be imperfect, but God has given us an ultimate leader 
who is also ultimately perfect, right? Our ultimate leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how about his character? Well, I don't think anyone in our group today second guess it, but let's revel in it. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 26, speaking to these believers, the author of Hebrews says, It is fitting for us to have such a high priest, that's Christ, holy, innocent, undefiled, and exalted above the heavens. That's the leader that we have. That's the one whom God put in charge ultimately over your soul and mine. And because of that, it says that we are able to draw near to God through him. Hebrews 7.25, since that leader, that high priest always lives to make intercession for us. God shepherds his people through leaders of character. We see a glimpse of that here as this group will be brought up around Moses. Praise God that he does the same for us today. Lastly, from our passage this morning, God usually, and I'm going to throw in the word usually, but it's what we see modeled here. God usually shepherds his people through a plurality of leaders as well. God shepherds his people through a plurality of leaders. That's the part you can't miss. That's the part that you know clearly, right? 21, Jethro says, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. You shall place these over them as leaders of thousands of hundreds and fifties and tens. Down in 25, what does Moses do? Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Why does he do that? Because Jethro has just shown him, this is what you have right now, a situation, Moses, where you will wear out, verse 18. A situation where it is too heavy for you. Is it because of Moses' lack of character? No, not necessarily. It's just because the task that God had in mind was one that was never meant to be carried by one man. I want you to notice the other side in verses 22 and 23. If he does this, what will happen? 22, let them judge the people at all times. Let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. He has just told them, this is too, he's just told Moses, this is too heavy for you. Would you be surprised to find that in verse 22, the word easier is the word lighter. This is too heavier for you, but if you share the burden, it will be lighter. This is wearying for you, but you will be able to endure it. And down in 23, the people will go to their place in peace. By the way, there is a principle here. That when justice is delayed, it creates a burden. Our system here in America is so litigious and so adversarial that it is known to be so drawn out. I, I don't think I can snap my fingers and fix it. I don't even know that I would know how to if I could. It's just to say that the pain of a drawn out process can be heavy laboring under injustice can be a pain and that's what is mentioned here these people themselves bear the burden he tells Moses but if you do this when there are simple things the people can get quick reconciliation quick direction quick justice and justice and quick guidance and so he 
exhorts them in that. How do we do that today? Well, it doesn't work that way today, either in our government or in the church. This was for a season in his nation, but now we don't have a, uh, a God-ruled nation on the face of the earth anymore. What we do have is amongst his people a leadership that is meant to be a people of character and called to be as such, and also a leadership that is a plurality. God has commanded in the church that there be shepherds, commanded that there be elders, and their call and their command in Scripture is to feed, lead, care, and protect. Beyond that, beyond the elders, he has called and gifted deacons and teachers and servants and leaders, all of these for the equipping of the saints, Ephesians chapter 4, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So we all do the work. We all witness and we all build. We all reconcile and we comfort. We all carry one another and we all push one another. But God has put in place these different aspects of leadership. But let me pause on that notion of the plurality for just a moment. Because there is a principle here and you've seen it in spades. Moses is going to wear himself out. He's probably going to disenfranchise his wife, who uh, has just returned to see him, and now he's spending long hours away from her. He's probably going to do a lot more that's going to be destructive, and it's going to be destructive for the people as well, unless he submits to this plurality principle, to this idea of God's leadership team. So it is a good place for us to pause and consider the question, how about you? Are you pulling alone? Are you pulling alone? If you are or you feel like you are, then consider. Because I don't know, there may be scenarios where it's right for you to be the man or be the woman in that place, maybe. But pause and consider, are you in that position and not sharing authority and responsibility simply of your own choosing, or is that really by God's design? Are you pulling alone? There's a little hint in this passage, by the way, that I think is just fun. I don't think it's a major teaching point. But did you notice what Jethro says to Moses? Do you notice his audacity? The thing that you are doing is what? Not good. You ever heard those words anywhere else in Scripture? In fact, let me narrow it down for you. Anywhere else in Scripture before Exodus 18? Let's see, there's only one other book in the Bible. God after he made everything, pronounced it good, except one. He saw Adam, and he said it was not good. What was it about Adam that was not good? He was alone. Well, isn't that a wonder that that's the exact same problem here? Verse 14 and verse 18. Jethro asks, why do you sit alone to judge as all the people stand around you? And what is the solution? Leaders over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, with them you will teach the people and resolve disputes. That's a pretty powerful statement if, I don't know if Jethro knows those words and he's smart enough and he purposely put it in those words, but I know that the author, the Spirit of God who recorded those exact words is doing a ding, 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 ding. This is how bad this is. Brother or sister, you may be in a place where it is right for you to take up the authority that you've been given. 
It may be right for you to work hard and to have even final say. You may be the one who has the peculiar burden for that, but are you pulling alone? If so, then what a golden opportunity this week as you're surrounded with friends and family, as you take the opportunity to slow down and give thanks, ask yourself, have you created a burden of your own making? Are you pulling alone where what God wants is for you to be pulling with? What a sweet thing that the Lord constantly leads his people. We need to be led, don't we? What a sweet thing that he puts leaders in our lives, imperfect people to be sure, but people who can speak into our lives, and so we should seek it out. And praise God that he puts us in teams to work together because even doing his work, especially doing his work, something we should never really try to do alone. What a great God, what a great provider. Praise him for his leadership wisdom. Stand with me and let's thank him together and let's close in prayer this morning. Gracious God, our Father, we come this morning and we thank you that you are wise in knowing what we need and in knowing how to lead us. Lord, your word touches on every aspect of our lives. There is nothing that casts a shadow upon our hearts today that your word does not speak to and help us with. Lord, our God, let us, let us submit to the leaders you have put in our lives. And Lord, would you reveal to us this week, me and each of us, if there are places where just out of arrogance I'm doing it alone, places just out of out of ignorance or foolishness, we are trying to carry it by ourselves. Let us turn to you and just say thanks that you have a better plan and receive and submit to what your good way for making leadership teams is. Lord, our God, thank you that you lead us this day. Thank you that we can sing your praises and celebrate your work. Thank you for Christ, who is our leader who is perfect, holy, unblemished, spotless, above the heavens, and who today shepherds us well. What if any here in our midst don't yet know this Savior? Friend, we would ask you today, why not? He wants to know you. He is willing to transform you, forgive you, and yes, even take up the huge burden of guiding, leading, loving, and helping you. Or do your work in the hearts of the people that you call. All this we ask for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.